Gaming and BS episode 236 being recorded March 31st, 2019. Welcome to Gaming NBS, Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad you're all here. My cough is a little bit better. I'll probably probably still hear it a little bit, but hopefully it won't blow Sean's eardrums out. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you doing, Brett? You're still sounding like crap. Yeah, it's week four. I'm, it's, it's getting way better, though. I was able to game this last weekend with my buddies up in my hometown, see my folks. You do still, sound better. Oh, yeah. It's still... Yeah. Now it's kind of the attempt. Temp- it's more of a bronchitis thing. It's just pain in the ass. It's annoying. Blech. Well, it's the thirty first of the month. We did not draw a name. You did I, not. I could. I could put it in after the fact. I. I meant to download all the emails. Do it next do time. A, do a random generator. Do it next time. So we'll do it next week, folks. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll have to put it on the to-do list. What we're talking about is the drawing for the free set of dice from awesomedice.com. Mm-hmm. If you go in and sign up for our email list at gamingnbs.com, then you'll be automatically entered to win. Uh, some restrictions on countries apply, but um, if we pull your name, you'll get a set of dice. Or what you could do is go to awesomedice.com, place an order for $10 or more, use gamingbs promo code, and you'll get 15% off your order. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, thanks, Brandon, for doing that. So another announcement-wise, Evercon, is it's a ways away, right? So it's in January yeah. of 2020. Well, that will be our 20th anniversary. Wow. Convention. 20 years. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I don't know what huge, biggie type of – we're a small con, right? You know, 1,000 people. Um, it's not uh, It's not a game hole con by any stretch, but – I want to try to put together some some cool, fun stuff. And one of the things that we're hoping to do is really get some of uh, some of my friends and people I know who run really good games to be able to show up and just kind of really have a good RPG showing. I'd really love that. So I know if you go to evercon.org, you can find out our dates and all that stuff for 2020. If there's any BSers out there who could make it run some games or play or whatever, it would be awesome, obviously, because our listeners are some of the best damn gamers I've ever met. So Having uh, any of you folks show up there would be awesome. It's a ways off. Like I say, it's in January. It's a long time away. A lot can change between now and then, but just wanted to plant the seed. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to oh. throw out something. this. I don't know if I should put this in the show or not, but I, I'll throw it out there anyway. Um, I may put in, I, can, I might be able to put in a level on Patreon, but um, for those of you that aren't aware of this, on the personal side, I am raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And so uh, my sister had leukemia when she was 13. Um, she's still with us today through a bone marrow transplant. But um, I got a yeah, pretty yeah, lofty just, goal. I'm going to say, Sean, that's your bone marrow and your sister. It is my bone marrow and my sister. <clears throat> Which is pretty fucking amazing, dude. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, know, I know you don't necessarily like me patting you on the head, but that's that's some honestly got heroic stuff, dude. Yeah. You saved it, your sister's life. I mean, yeah, that's just awesome. Was, we were very fortunate to be a match when we were, we were well, when we were kids and when we are today. But- um, it's been 30 some years since I've done anything to help out that cause. And so I am on a team here in Madison, Wisconsin, that has a pretty lofty goal. And then each of the members of the team has their own personal goal. Um, so if you 
if you can help, great. I will put a kind of link in the show notes uh, to a video and, and a page. And if you can give, great. If you can't, um, if you just let other people know, because I know other families have been touched by blood cancer diseases and may be willing to chip in a full, few shekels, and that would be greatly appreciated. So there's a couple, couple of different ways you could help, uh, you know, donate, spread the word, or both. So that's good uh, stuff, man. I think I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it and putting it on the show because it's it's a definitely a worthy cause. It's good. It's a 10 week campaign. So if you mm-hmm. do listen to this episode, um, when does it end? I have to double check. I, I will put the end date in the show notes. Um, so that June first, I'm looking at the website right now. Oh, June first, so six thirty so p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you listen to this after June first, absolutely, I encourage you to donate. But if you're trying to help me out specifically. Um, my my efforts will end around the June first uh, side of this specific leg, so thanks Brett for pointing that out. No problem, man. Otherwise, I think that's it. I, I don't have anything else more to say. No, I think we're good. We can move on to random encounter and All see right. what we got. All right, random encounter, kicking off with uh, an audio from Blake of House Ryan. Oh, all right, all right. Hi, this is Blake from Australia. I uh, just thought I'd say good day. Still loving the show. It's always good. Uh, regarding TPKs. Okay, the second time I ran Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, party with first and second level, bypassed the moat house, and went straight to the Temple Ruin, snuck in through a side window, rolled two nat 20s on figuring out the puzzle to make the throne go down to level four. So... A bunch of first and second level characters are running around level four. Quickly, uh, half of them got slain, the other half got paralyzed and captured. Insert new party. Two of them were cousins of the ones that got captured as the rescue party. So, well, I don't know if you call it a TPK, but it's certainly a bloody mess. Could tell the monsters were pretty tough soon, but they didn't come back up. They're like, no, we'll just keep going. We'll be fine. So, no, no. Shadow run. Hmm. So many sessions where they're like, oh, we're just going to recon. We'll check out the base we're supposed to infiltrate or, you know, steal stuff from or whatever. And then we'll come back and make better plans. No, no. Every time the recon turns into the main raid because someone gets excited and starts to try and take out guards or just flat out break in. And yeah, people died. Or even if they were successful, they get paid by Mr. Johnson they go back to their base, and I'm like, oh, are you working on your gear? Are you going to lay low? Are you going to leave town for a while? What are you doing? Oh, no, we're going to spend all our cash on, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And I'm like, okay. You know, they hear a helicopter noise, and they think, oh. They're like, oh, cool, let's go up and moon the helicopter. I'm like, oh, no, they're not getting the hint. Okay, so they go up, and they moon the helicopter. It starts firing on them. Uh, one of them decides to try and run for it. The other one decides to moon them from the front end and they both gunned down uh yeah just so many shadow and characters they just didn't lay low and didn't cover their tracks at all or they'll try and break into the base and take care of all the mundane security completely and utterly forget magical stuff overlooking stuff for characters that should have been smarter than that yeah there's a dire shark versus our boat when we're on like an islands campaign and i guess you know obviously the gm was going for some sort of jaws vibe which is fine, but it was a dire shark, and we were all third to fifth level. And like in the first round, it did so much damage, and the one it targeted, which was random, was the person with all the, the best sailing skills. So we're like, oh, crap. 
And we're like, can we make it? And we're all like, mm, one of us might get away, but the rest of us are going to be shark food because this thing's just so quick and so much damage. And I um, sort of ran the length of the boat while I was taking off my necklace of missiles that I found earlier and just smashed the shark in it. And, the, you know, it TPK'd. It took us all out. And, and the shark as well, because I thought, well, it's either going to kill us all or we can die fighting it sort of thing. I'm like, no, nah, let's just take it out. This is it's going to end badly either way for us. So I caused the TPK, but I don't have any regrets. We took the bloody shark with us. That thing was nasty. Yeah, keep the dice rolling, fellas. All right. <laughs> Shadowrun, guys. You go, you blow shit up, you forget that there's magic in Shadowrun, which is hilarious. <clears throat> it was somebody in that party had magic or knew about it. Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff, Blake. <clears throat> yeah, the uh, I do remember Temple of Elements legal, the original. There's plenty of opportunity in some of those old school adventures that if you choose or you find a way, hey, I could bypass all this stuff. Yeah, you did. And now you're right down by the dragon or whatever's down there. You are woefully unprepared for that. Oh my god, that's funny, funny stuff. Thanks for thanks for recording that, Blake. Absolutely. You want to read this next one? I'm gonna take it. Yeah, sure. Here. Lewis of House Hef Heifer, or is it Hofer? Um Hey BSers. Wanted to weigh in on range bands as a response to Matt V's thoughts on episode 233. I felt Matt V gave range bands an unfair representation. I have mostly ran, Harvard Lockjaw voice, Sans Minis games. In my take, we use board game pawns and little colored cubes to represent characters and NPCs all thrown out on top of a roughly drawn map, usually on a chess X mat or whiteboard. Things are kept real loose with details and specifics added onto the map only when they are called for by someone's actions or inquiry. The map is not always to scale and is there just enough uh, is there just enough there to hang our theater of the mind abstractions on. In this setup, my players and I don't sweat exact distances for range or movement. In the heat of battle I may declare from character A to character B is long range. The player may say, if I can get to this spot, would it become medium range for my character? And we just negotiate things from there. In my actual playing experience, this format, so long as you are not playing with people who want to hash through numbers, is much faster than playing with tactical maps with five foot square scale, etc. Of course, it requires players to understand that there is a give and take. In one scene, their characters may cover a big distance in a move action because it ramps up the drama, whereas in another scene, the distance may be shorter because it ramps up the drama. So long as everyone trusts that the game master is judging the size of these range bands to exemplify the needs of the story or terrain effects and not as a GM versus players screwing over the character's advantage, the game goes well and plays fast. I still remember some 18 years ago when I first let go of actual distances and embraced range bands. Once I got the buy-in from my players, combats become so much more technical, or sorry, theatrical. Uh, I do think the basic map and pawn pieces help hold some of the fog that otherwise complicates this style of play. Still, keeping this map simple and using plain pawns allows the players to imagine the vibrant details on their own and really... Um, eliminates the prep time monetary the time mo slash monetary investment 
that comes with using scale maps and minis. So there you go. My two cents on that. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> now, real quick, I've been running a Redbox D&D game with my kids, their first role-playing experience. I was really amused to see their reactions to finding and trying out magical items. In my games, I do not tell players directly what a magic item or fantastic piece of technology does, aside from when they have used identify spells, etc. I describe it, usually giving it properties that associate with its effects, like a ring of animal control having a flocked coating of fur around it and some sculpt animal heads instead of jewels, and let the players play around with it until they figure it out. Though this can be time-consuming, I found that it makes finding these amazing items more memorable and enjoyable. Usually I will break down and give the exact stats of the item to the player once they sort, uh, sort of get what the item does. The glyph-covered sword is indeed enchanted and gives you a plus two. I have both ran and played in games where the GM simply says, you have found a helmet of invisibility or whatever. I feel it makes everything seem generic and gamey. What style do you guys prefer? On a side note, all the fun of this ended recently as the kids came across the bag of holding. Now, everything they find, including animal bones or tapestries and all sort of dungeon trash, goes into the bag, and they hardly explore stuff anymore. Has anyone else had this issue with bags of holding killing off the discovery and investigation of magical items or even story-oriented clues? Just wondering. Lewis. Huh. So I'll tell you, um, yeah, I would steal a bag of holding from them or have it break you would steal it from them yeah um some nasty little critter goblin something steals it breaks it it gets ruptured they've been filling it full of stuff have they been paying any attention to how full it is they do have a finite amount of space in them yeah um but yeah or the other pieces depending what they've been stashing in it if they're just randomly throwing crap in there and they take this other bag and throw it inside of that bag and it goes kaboom. Well, that was a bag of devouring that you crammed in a bag of holding. <laughs> There's a portable hole that you just scooped up and stuffed in there. And you, you know, you can cause it. Your rash, crazy actions have caused an explosion and everything that was in the bag is gone. I mean, there's that level of punishment or it explodes and the room is covered, you know, ankle or knee deep in all the crap that you've been picking animal bones, old tapestries, all this stuff you've been collecting. So yeah, I've, um, I've had it where people, you know, load up so much stuff. I'll get to it later or whatever, where that's the bag of holding has been more of a pain like that. It hasn't really stopped the discovery components of it, but I would say that if that's a piece, I would find a way to make the bag less effective. Or if they do miss something, they can't get anywhere. Then they have to empty the fucking bag out and search <laughs> through it to find the thing that they crammed in there. What room was that in? You don't know. You just... Stuffing stuff in your bag, like my kid's closet. You open it up, crap comes rolling out. Where's the Lego piece you're looking for? I don't know. It's in here somewhere. Well, good luck because the ceiling's closing in on you. You know. Yeah, there's something to be said about putting everything in the world in a bag of holding, and then you're yeah. trying to grab something out of there. How does that even work? I mean, yeah, it's not it, might, even a it probably doesn't just come up to the top, right? Um, as far as the um exploring the magic item piece, Brett, and giving mm -hmm. them the option to determine what it is versus just telling them what it is. What is your, what is your take on that? This last, um, just yesterday I ran my Pathfinder game for my guys and they had to try stuff out. They couldn't identify it. 
So they tried some arcana checks to get a kind of a vague idea, smell, so on. Like, well, I put on the rings. Let's see what that does. Does nothing. <laughs> really? All right. Later on, something happens. Like, oh, guess they are magical. Holy shit. <laughs> Lenny, I'll put the boots on. Seems cool. All right. Guy put on the plate mail. In the middle of combat, I said, so I rolled, uh, what's your armor class? He told me, I said, no, 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 you have to add four to that. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cool. We didn't find out until he got hit, right? So I took right. a swing at him. He found out that way. Um, I like doing that. I love doing that. Identify, to me, is always like, I don't like to name the, the thing. It seems like it gives you the power of flight. Or this potion would cause you to have fiery breath. I don't say potion of dragon breath or it's a potion of something. This would heal you in some capacity, probably pretty well or pretty good or something along those lines. Try to keep a little on the vague side until, I mean, depending on the nature of the identify spell, sometimes they get more specific, but I like to keep it a little mysterious because you don't fucking know until you really, really figure it out. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, I would go similar to that mentality. Um, I had Joe maybe listening to this. So the party, uh, this Saturday, my party, they came across uh, a ring. Um, uh, they, they happened to steal it from a guy, um, dirty, dirty hobos, dirty, dirty, thieves, brigands. Um, brigands. I, my, my party is a bunch of bandits at this a point. Bunch of ban- yes. Bandit, bandits. Even the paladin. Oh, son yeah. of a bitch. Even the paladin. Oh, Just, sad. You know, let's that shit fly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they're not gonna know what that is for quite a while. They'll get certain things that probably occur, and uh, they'll get some feeling out of it or something like that. So part of the properties, they'll—I mean, it's cool to the touch. That's about it at this point. Well, especially, I mean, if you're given a thing, <clears throat> this is the sword, you know, right. You know, Frostbreaker, and it will do this. That, oh, wow, that's really, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord Wizard or King, who has gifted me this thing. You just find it. You don't necessarily know what it does. Right. And that, to me, is part of the the fun and the wonder of just figuring that shit out. How yep. the hell does this even work? Yep. Yep. So that's now, if it is something more mundane and they're going to futz around with it for a little while and all this other stuff, then I may, it depends on the context of the situation. I mean, if it's, hey, we need some potions of healing and they go shopping and they want to test on what, if it is or not, you know, fine. We'll just kind of be, be cut to the chase. I don't have a ton of magic in my campaign currently, so it's not a huge factor, but um, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, yeah. I like doing that. It makes it more fun. Yeah, I yeah. think so anyway. But yes, thanks so much, Lewis. All right. Who's up next here? Daniel from House Garrett. All right. Hey, Brett. Uh, cool meeting you at Gary Khan. Sean. Miss, oh, he said Brett or Brent. It's Brett, B-R-E-T-T. <laughs> cool meeting you at Gary Khan. Sean, missed you, but I uh, did meet the, <laughs> but you did meet the drunk me at GameholeCon. Call Cthulhu a great game. Got bought, ugh, I recently got back into tabletop RPGs and I've been interested in COC for a bit now. I picked up the starter rules a year or so ago, but did nothing with it. I was trying new games at GaryCon and got to play with a great keeper and had a blast. New favorite system. Last weekend, I had a few gaming friends come over and we gave Call of Cthulhu a chance. I was the keeper and had a great time running them through Paper Chase. Anyone had a, everyone had a great time getting out of the hack and slash frame of mind. They're coming over Sunday to start a new scenario. 
I really like the way the scenarios are laid out and think Chaosim did a great job with everything. I'm still using the starter rules to run the scenario, but ordered the Keeper screen to help run it. Not only did I get the screen, but two adventures, maps, creation sheets, blank character sheets, plus PDFs, everything was included. Hope to hear how your game goes if you get to run it. Keep up the great work, Dan. I'll yeah, tell you, I, man. That there's there's something really cool when you find a game and it's like a it's a groove and you get in it and you got a group that embraces it. It's it's really neat. It's yeah, fun. It's a hell yeah. of a good feeling. Yep. And I uh, I pitched it to the to the group the other day. The other day, um, I don't know, man. The guy Jeff, my buddy, the guy I do who might be adverse to it is like, uh, nope. I I saw you know I saw Logan and his stupid friends playing it. Love a lot. And Logan's his son. <laughs> And they, when they were younger, it was just so dumb. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I just couldn't understand why we were playing the game. So. Wow. Whoa. I know. Ooh, Jeff, easy, big guy. Jeff's, Jeff has opinions. Okay. So. Well, no, I mean, that, you know, fine. He can, right. he can, he can be wrong opinioned. I don't mind that. Well, he's, he, <laughs> <laughs> he kind of know this. So anyways, um, now also on that same aspect, I told, I talked to Brett earlier about an encounter that happened during my game and i don't want to go into details because now i've got these guys stoked to listen to the podcast because they're like oh you talk about us and now they're like wondering what i'm saying so i know my buddy joe is listening hey hey joe um but joe knows what i'm talking about but anyways the the short of it is one of the guys uh dustin was like Oh, let's get into finally something killing something i'm starting you know tired of like dicking around because they had an encounter where it was all role play for like two and a half, three hours. You're muted, dude. And so, um, sorry, I had a cough earlier there, but yeah. I said too much talking, not enough killing. <laughs> right, is what he was kind of getting at. So, if I run, if it's not a, if it's not the game for them, then I don't want to run it for them. Honestly, that's just not going to work. So we'll see. I'm, I mean, I may put out a call for local people that just want to get into this particular game. I don't know. We'll see. But cool. I don't know. Anyways, over to you, sir. Yes. Email from Tony from House Baker. Topic suggestion: Recovering from a bad game. While I'm sure neither of you have ever run a bad game before, it can be a little bit intimidating and difficult to recover after you run a bad game. How do you engage the players again? Do you discuss issues with the game of that point? Um. Do you, dis- do you discuss issues with the game at that point, or do you just move on? Um, uh, move on. How do you approach resolving or improving? Thanks, Tony. I wonder if Tony is alluding to my game. Well, I, I have <laughs> He's in my game. Yeah, I don't want to say anything, but uh, if you've uh, if you've ever had a super <laughs> shitty game, um, John Kelly, well, Kelly, Kelly, he, he can't really call it shitty because we haven't played that much, so. Well, I've had bad games. I talked about it on the show a couple times. Like, um, and then kind of trying to figure out and go over. It. I think it's definitely worth the recovery. It's one thing to say, "Yeah, I had a bad game," but what did you do to bounce back from that? You know, because it's you can run a game and the game isn't bad. The players aren't bad. You're not bad. It just doesn't work for whatever reason. And sometimes, creatively speaking, that can it could just be depressing. It's yeah. a bummer. I put all this time and energy into run. Massive Nile Thotep, and uh, five sessions in, it's fallen flat. I don't even want to look at that fucking book anymore. Oh, I feel so sad. Not that that's going to happen, but it's one of those things where, like, man, you kind of can be a bummer. So I like that topic idea, Tony. So thank you. I'm going to throw that yep. in the uh, throw it into Hoppa. 
A little notepad going here. All right. <clears throat> Who's up next here? We've got Saul uh, from House Morales on Sean's venture into Call of Cthulhu. So let's see what Saul has to say. I'm glad you guys mentioned the passing of uh, Larry Dottillo. Um, I got to know him very well over the last 20 years of him coming to North California Game Cons. The first time I saw him was in 1996 at a DundraCon seminar called We Hate Gaming. It was a great, it was a tirade on things that make people hate gaming and gamers. It was very tongue in cheek and it was hilarious. A few years later, we were introduced to him at the same game con. Me and my brother were headed off to bed. It was 2 a.m. and Larry stopped us and asked us to play a game of Turn the Tide. I was about to say no, I was really tired, but to my surprise, my brother said yes. So I agreed to play just one game. Well, he had me and my brother rolling with laughter. After a couple of games of Turn the Tide, Larry reached in the backpack and pulled out Grew the Card Game. Oh my God, I love that game. Um, that's a Brad aside. I'm a big Gru fan. Anyway, um, so we finally got to bed sometime around 4 a.m., and we were friends after that. Every year, he would seek us out to play board games with him. After my son was born, he was one of the first adults to teach him a game, uh, Poison. That was when my son was six. He's now 15. He treated my son as a gamer and not a kid. Larry was a very special man. I didn't know too much later that he was a famous guy in certain circles. I had a friend, <clears throat> excuse me, a friend practically begged me to introduce him to Larry because he was a huge Call of Cthulhu fan. I didn't know about him writing call the COC campaign masks. He's also a writer for He-Man, She-Ra, Babylon 5, and one of my family's favorite shows. Um, a few years ago, we uh, he heard I threw myself a big gaming party over my birthday weekend. He asked why I didn't invite him. I just didn't think he would come to my party here in San Jose while he lived in Hollywood. So I invited him just because never thinking he'd ever come up for just my birthday. But to my surprise, he showed up the whole weekend of gaming at my birthday celebration. Larry was, I know it's cliche, and he would have berated me for it. He was one of a kind. I and my family and friends miss him greatly. Saul. Damn, Saul, that is a cool story, man. That is really neat. Yeah. It's Thanks. really, it's great to hear people in the industry, big names or cool people like that, they're, that they're fucking cool. That they're as cool as you hope they are. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Saul. That was that's cool of you to do. That was very neat. All right, let's get into the main topic. Let's go at it. All right. Are we ready? I don't know. <clears throat> All right. Are we so, ever really ready? No, 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 we're not. So what I want to talk about today are puzzles, kind of those... Um, Jigsaw puzzles. Similar to that, yes. Puzzles and games. You know, those pieces, those puzzles, those clues, those traps. The situations our players find themselves in, or the characters, I should say. Hopefully not the players. The characters find themselves in where they have to figure something out. they got to solve the problem, the the issue. And how do we set those up? How do we use them? One of the things that got me thinking about this was I was reading a couple different posts on MeWe, looking through some Facebook stuff, just kind of looking through the different RPG channels I watch. And... Somebody had mentioned, I think it might have been Matt Colville had mentioned that, you know, sometimes I present a problem to my players that have no idea how it gets solved. I just think it's a neat problem. It's a puzzle of some sort. Solve this. I have no idea how they'll do it or what the real answer is. I don't even know. I just want to see what they do. And I have seen some people react negatively to that, much like some people react neg negatively to the quantum ogre idea of this encounter is going to happen regardless of what you do. Where they say, no, 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 if you're going to write or create a puzzle or a problem like that, you need to have an answer or variance of the answer, the things that should work or the right way to work and so on. So I want to talk about that. So, Sean, in the games you run, 
And now, and I guess two-part question, the games you run and the games you play, do you like dealing with those types of puzzles, those things that you've got to figure out? Kind of. You know, kind of. I, I don't mind. Are you talking from a player or a game master perspective? From a game master perspective. Do you like throwing those out there? Do you like crafting them and giving them to the players to see what they do with it? Or do you just find that a waste of your creative time because the damn players don't pay any attention to it anyway? Uh, I like to. I would like to do it. If it is not overly time consuming and that it was a kind of a neat factor, sure. I I would have appreciation of that. So how would you define when I say a puzzle or a situation like that or a you know, you're you're in a bind of some kind, what does that bring to your mind? Do you think it's a like here's a twelve page riddle and a key and a piece of wax paper to figure out the answer? Do you see that as how how do you how do you define what a puzzle is in this case, I guess? I just want to make sure I'm talking about the same thing with you so that you're, if you're thinking X and I'm thinking Y, yeah. I can bring us together. It is more a um, – some um, could be a device of some kind. It could be – I mean, it could even just be a limerick, um, something that the party has to figure out – maybe not figure out, but the point is to figure out what it means and have it apply to something I think is what I would probably define it as. So, okay, it can be mechanical. Doesn't have to be mechanical. See, I see these um, also. To me, that's that's one version. Another version is you've come into the room, you see the portal. The creatures are pouring out of the portal. You know the horrible big thing is going to come out of the portal. You should probably shut that portal. Right. I. That's a puzzle. How how do you do that? How, you have no idea. Sure. If you encounter something like that as a player, or even a, as a player, do you expect that there is a right way to do it? A, oh, prede- a predetermined, correct way to shut the portal? Yeah, oh, you have to do 52 points of damage, and you need uh, the Rod of Lordly Might, and you need her. Yeah. You, so you are going more high, like bigger level, like even any, just figuring something out. Well, all of it, honestly. I mean, I guess yeah. my, my question is, do you like to, as the game master, do you build them so that there's a right way to solve them? And, you know, and anything that's not the right way, it's wrong and doesn't work. Kind of a, you know, you're going to bang your head on this wall until you figure it out. Or do you have options, like official correct ways? Like there's four possible ways to get through this or six possible ways. Yeah. Or do you like putting them out there where you don't even know? And when the players come up with something really creative, you go, ah, yes, that's it. That works. Yes. You've done all of them. <laughs> I, did. I don't know if I, I've done. I don't know if I've done all of them. But I, the the reason I say yes is because I think that there, depending on the situation, <laughs> um, will will determine what makes sense. So I'll give you an example. If there is a quest of some kind, and at the end of that quest, they have to close the portal. Yep. Maybe during the quest, they find out how to do that. So when they do get there, they 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 make that happen. Do you plant the information for them to find that out? Very good question. Maybe. Okay. So I, I think it all depends on how you want to do it as a game master. So if you want to kind of make that its own thing, like, hey, just so you know, there is a portal at the end of this, and it's, it's making these aberrations come in from different planes and we have to close that and somebody says well how do you do that and it's like well guess what we don't know you have to find out right boom you got a plot hook they have to go find out to how to do that first 
It's a directed quest. You must do this thing, solve this riddle so you can figure out the ending. Right. Okay. Right. So there are also scenarios where I would say, uh, going to what you were kind of alluding to, is do you make that something that is rigid or do you just make them come up with something and you're like, yes, that's how it works. And I think that is also, I think there isn't a wrong way to do any of those. Um, I also think that there's times when they come across something and they don't know and they have to figure it out and you Mm -hmm. don't kind of hook them into it and it's not predetermined. Yes. No. Okay. No, that's fair. I think um, for me, I wouldn't say it's necessarily wrong. I would say the less fun for me is that there's one right way to do it. Much like, much like solving a, a murder mystery or an investigative game where you're trying to piece clues together to find out who killed Jackson Elias. I want to figure out how this happened what went down. Right. Um, in my Avalon game I'm running right now using the Pathfinder system, I have a pretty good idea what the ending is going to be. Or at least I, I think that they're heading in the right direction, so this thing will probably happen. I have no idea how they're going to figure that out. No fucking clue how they're going to stop it, solve it, fix it. I do not know, nor have I planted, any purposeful clues and information along the way that says, oh, if you collect six rocks and stack them up, that will stop this bad thing from happening. Oh, if you have drink this potion and use this magic item, you can stop the big bad. I seriously have no idea. I'm they're going into lots of different situations. They're picking up all this knowledge, tons and tons of stuff. And what normally happens, because this is this is just Brett's preference, is what happens then when the thing occurs, whatever that is, if there's a big climactic event, the players say, What have we learned? And whoosh, you know, they're just, they're tearing through their notes. What can we figure out the, the, you know, oh my, wait, we talked to that guy in the town 16 sessions ago and he said, when the moon is full, is the moon full? Fuck. No, run, run. We got to come back when the moon is full. They'll just, they'll glom onto stuff, whether, and that's fun for me and for them trying to piece things together. If there is, to me, the least fun is when there's only a single right way to do it. Yeah. Much like, and part of this, I think, I shouldn't say I think, it came out of the discussion we had with um, some of our listeners around the one Shadowrun campaign that, or the adventure started, like, if you break the thing, it's over. Well, if you have a puzzle and there's only one way to solve it, no matter how creative the players or the characters are, if they don't come up with the one answer, they're fucked. You know, in one way, shape, or form. Sometimes rocks fall, everybody dies. Um, you know, Darth Vader kills you, or the the horrible thing occurs. And <clears throat> I have talked to some game masters like, well, that's the way the puzzle should work, and you need to have one right way to do it, and therefore you have to carefully plant these seeds, or there has to be enough clues, and hey, I'm sorry if the players or characters aren't smart enough to figure it out. You know, sometimes characters die, and that's just how it goes. Um, for me, that's the least fun. I tend to find those as a game master very frustrating because my players get angry. Right. Or the people I've played with get very frustrated. Like, I just came up with a really clever interpretation of what that riddle is, and I have a pound of sand with me. That's the answer. Look, I read it through. It's a pound of sand. No, no, it's 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 glass. It can't be sand. Right. But the it both work. You know, and that's you know, you can I don't like the argument at the table. And oftentimes when you're driving, something's obfuscated, it's hidden, and the only way to solve it is one way. Much to the old Call of Cthulhu thing is like you fail your you failed your role, it's fucked, the world goes pear-shaped, Cthulhu rises, everybody dies. 
So for me, if if I write an answer down, which is very rare, I say the answer is this, 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 or this. I come up with two, three, four, five, a handful of ways that can be solved. Because what that does is that preps my brain when the characters show up and the players start getting creative and doing some crazy-ass shit. I go, you know what? That's close enough to bag of sand. You're in. Yes, that works. You know, you got there the same way, but you have a bag of marbles, not sand. Good enough. That works. You, you're really creative, and I can reward you with it. Um, <clears throat> I do. I do believe though that by doing that, I do. I do think there is a there are bad options. Like that's just a dumb idea, right? <laughs> you know, well, let's just let's just go hit the portal with our swords. Whoop. Well, well, that didn't work. Yeah, let's attack it. That didn't work. You know, those you can. There are bad ideas, and you know, I say I read the poem backwards out loud. Womp! The fighter explodes. Okay, that wasn't any good. Let's try this again. That's that's totally legit. But I, I have a hard time presenting a single right way to do something because it feels overly contrived and like you know, from a player agency perspective. When I started doing this, I never thought of it as an agency thing, but even a an empowerment for players to be creative. If I have one single way to do it, it feels like I'm yanking that rug out from under them. So that's why I don't like those. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really tough and can be very frustrating when you're like one way to solve the Rubik's cube and nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, might as well just throw this freaking thing out the window. I don't have time to deal <laughs> with this shit. this shit. I got time for this shit. And then you just toss it. But I think you gotta, you gotta, it's a balance. You don't want to make it too easy. Like, Oh, you just twist this thing here. Or you 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 get them you you tend to kind of lead them into it where it's like you get into a skill based system and they want to figure it out and they roll decent you give them a hint and then they push a button and it's like oh this cube unfolds into a little box and inside is a little thing yeah depending how and this is one of those places where some people that I've talked to some of the posts I've seen were like no 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 there, there's a right way and a wrong way you know it's that's how this is built I wrote it that way. And if they don't do it, they all die. That's a, similar to the TBK discussion. That is a style of play that some people do enjoy. Sure. I just have met very, I've met people who have told me they've enjoyed it. I've never seen anybody enjoy it, but I have no reason to doubt that people who told me they enjoyed it do because right. I don't, they're good folks. I don't think they would lie to me. Um, at least not to your face. At least not to my face. No, <laughs> I mean, not my wife or anything. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Susan doesn't do that. Anyway, point is. Um, what the hell is my point? Um, if you have if you have a system that some of these puzzles and things, one of the other pieces that kind of goes with it is that when you drop something like this, you are challenging not only the characters but the player. Right. Which is interesting because you'll have that one person in the group who knows puzzles really well. That one person, you know. The barbarian. I, the one playing the barbarian. Yeah, the one playing the barbarian. And suddenly you're like, Ange, Ange, you're a barbarian. But you're like, yeah, but I know the answer. Now, and I've gamed with Anne. She's an awesome player. So she wouldn't, she would not, the way she plays characters, right. in my experience with her, she'd be like, oh, Anne thinks she knows it, but, you know, Ragnar the Magnificent doesn't. So I'll sit over here and wail on the goblins until you figure it out, you know, because I have a two intelligence. And this is where sometimes style of play comes in, where you're rewarding, you're always rewarding the player in some way, shape, or form when success happens or whatever. But if they, if you haven't, by the time you get here, especially if it's the big bad at the end, right? 
And all along the, the path, the player player knowledge and character knowledge has been swooshing back and forth. There's kind of this very liquid, free-flowing thing. At the very end is not the time to go, I'm sorry. You know that, but your character doesn't. You failed that skill check roll. So therefore, you don't know. If you had two herring, you could throw them in the portal. It would shut the door. Yeah, but I know that, and we've done this for the last 16 sessions, you dick. How come I can't? You know, that's a bad time to draw the line. And I think <clears throat> with puzzles and so on, when you introduce them the first time, or if you plan to use something like that, I think it's a great opportunity to, it's kind of like a, a combat. Like, hey, this is how I run fights. Oh, neat. You run fights like that. Okay, let's have a fight, and I'll show you how I do that. Oh, wow. He wasn't fucking kidding. It's dead. It's deadly as hell. Five retainers died. Hey, here's here's a puzzle. You, Sean, cannot use your Sean knowledge. You have to use your character. The only way to get through this is with die rolls or saying, my character has a skill in rope use. Therefore, I would understand what this reference to Sailor's Knots is. Unless you do that, you can't figure it out. I, my suggestion is if you're gonna if you want to game that way, you you talk to the player, you tell everybody that's how it works, and be very cautious when you build a puzzle or a trick or something like that, or an unsolvable thing, something that needs solving, that it's not going to challenge the players, but just the characters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I had, I mean, I had this happen in the Tomb of Annihilation uh, module, mm -hmm. so for those that have run it or gone through it, there is a there is that one little temple where it's room, it's almost like a room by room by room thing, and each one is something they have to figure out. If they if they approach in a particular manner, they can like potentially walk right through the entire thing without any problem. So when you ran that, Sean, did the was were the players feeling challenged or were they using skill checks to try to figure it out or were the players trying to sort it out, you know? Um, I let the players kind of do their thing. So I would present what is in front of them. So say for example, it's a it's a 10 by 10 room mm -hmm. and it's by 10 one foot tiles horizontally and vertically. And every alternating one is a different, like there's every other one is dark and every other one is white. Yeah. And you have to go across. So you could just, you know, what do you do? Like you walk across, you just, is there a particular path or do you just walk straight across? Diagonally, do you jump in the dark ones only? Yeah, whatever you want to do. You just tell me what's going on. So I present that to them and I let the I let I let the players figure it out regardless of who the character is. And one of the reasons is because in that particular situation, if it was a barbarian with like a five intelligence, mm -hmm. you know, who knows? Maybe the barbarian's dumb enough to just go and then take a particular path and everything is fine. And I kind of let it roll, whatever. Or maybe it's the player that says to another player, hey, maybe we should try this. So that player may suggest it to another one that's actually smart, right? So it's Oh, the so the, the, the players interacting with it is like a, is that back and forth that we have, or, you know, day to day with people. Right. You're talking to your mechanic, and I know fuck all about cars, but I'm like, is it something with the brakes or the tie rods? Because I feel this weird wiggle up front. And that last time, and he goes, you know what? I'll take a look. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was a tie rod. Fucking A. I was right. Yeah. I know jack about cars. I got lucky. And sometimes you get lucky. I mean, if they get really stupefied, then maybe I put in a roll and I let somebody notice something. Maybe uh, one of those tiles is a, a different height than the others. 
Um, what does that mean? You you could easily throw the thing is with a party when they're really stumped. If you throw them even a min, minute bone, they're gonna latch onto that thing like it's the end of the like this is this is it like this thing has the answer. The answer it revolves around this little rock in that spot. Yeah. And then they'll be like, I removed the rock. I put the rock down. I put another rock on there. I put a rock on the other one. <laughs> like it's just, then it's the rock. The rock is the focus. None of the tiles are. I mean, then it becomes a combination of that. And then you just kind of sit there and listen. So I think, I think at some point, if you know you're going on like 60 minutes plus and they haven't figured out anything, even if it's a, all right, I do this, then what happens? And there's an actual effect and it may not be beneficial. Like, I don't know blades come out of the ceiling fire blows out of the walls even if it's the bad result at least they can go okay well that's bad if i (laughs) don't do that right yeah yeah then they they it's part of you know you know something you said there got me to think about this too right so you, I use the example of, you know, Brett and Andrew playing and we're like, no, 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 no. We, our characters aren't smart enough. We back off or whatever. Now, sometimes if it's going on for a while, that puzzle solved in five minutes, 10 minutes, pretty quick. It's okay. But there can be, it's not a spot like hogging. It's like a lack of, you can't move it, right? It's like fixed on the problem. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not even on the characters anymore. It's on the problem. Everybody's staring at the checkerboard on the floor. Right. And if it's taking a while, and as players, they don't feel like they can engage in the fun. They're watching two other players have fun, or they're watching one player yep. have fun. And it's that player is the only the wizard is the only one who by his character's design would be smart enough to figure out the trap so the rest of us will sit here and play tiddlywinks until, you know, Falcor the Magnificent figures this out. That could be disheartening and boring, which is, I think, one of the reasons why when you start going at it where players like to get engaged in it because it's this is the fun we're having right now is solving this problem. And if the fun is only for a certain person and no one else can engage in it, that gets boring, especially if it's the second or third time of that type of fun that hits you. (laughs) You know, this is the third puzzle in the in the dungeon of eternal puzzles. You should have known that because it said that on the door. Okay, how about we all band? Yeah, so I could see some. I could see some definite value in all the players chipping in, you know, and not trying to be too draconian and stopping people from doing it. If that's fun for everybody, if they're having a good time doing it, I've actually given up a little bit on the meta, right? So in some games where we've probably touted like that's meta gaming, can you please stop that? I've almost kind of said, you know what? What's the point? Let these freaking guys talk whatever the hell they want because it's either going to matter or it's not. And frankly, you know, whatever. Like I just kind of do, I kind of hand wave it. So with this stuff, it, de- it again, depends on the situation on what they're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. who's who's the focus of it. You know, if they want, the only thing I would probably say is if the person's character literally isn't there, I would say, look, you're not there. You can't contribute to this. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, look, you are not there. Shut up. Type yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. So um, there. that's all I have to say about that. 
Have you ever been, uh, from a player's perspective, had one that it's it's hard to get angry at the DM's perspective, right? Because you're like, hey, I put a puzzle out there. You guys are trying to figure out something. I get to smile and give you clues, and this is fun. Have you ever had a type of puzzle that as a player, you're like, this is fucking stupid? Have you ever had one where you've been a player in any game, sci-fi or otherwise, doesn't matter, where you're like, this puzzle sucked? <laughs> well, first of all, I would want to know whether the puzzle is from a, a module or if it's from the game master. So if the game master came up with something on their own and it's a homebrew and they put it out on the table you would have or, mercy. or they present it, I would be discreet. Yes. Uh, uh, if it was something that was published, you know, from a third party or something and I, you know, Hey, it's the box and you, you can't figure out how to open the box. And you're like, yeah. I smashed the box. Oh, you can't smash the box. Well, I, tr- I try to find a key. There's no key. Like, well, then it's like, Man, who wrote this, this goddamn thing? <laughs> <laughs> Unleash on the designer author, like God, freaking damn it, Brett! Who did Brett write this thing? <laughs> this thing sucks. Author Brett Blinzinski. Son ah, of a bitch, I knew it. This freaking guy. Have you been? Have you hit one of those where you just like this puzzle sucks? I, Either homebrew or otherwise. I Do you remember any? I haven't in a long time. Like even the the tomb of an. I mean, because the puzzle piece, I usually don't try to put it in there for those reasons like i can't get around this thing i don't know what to do but even just the subtle nuances of that the tomb of annihilation one was pretty cool i actually appreciated that and i could tell that you know there was a the thing is with puzzles in my humble opinion is they don't have to be complicated at all like just make them really simple the players will magnify the complication oh yeah Yeah. 10 times right just hey here's a little marble (laughs) like Boom! Their heads explode. Like, do we eat the marble? Do we? Do we? (laughs) Do we eat it? Do we like smash it? Do we throw it? Do we roll it? Yeah. You know, they may stumble across something that's really easy. Well, it's a marble. I roll it down the sidewalk. It doesn't do anything. Right? How? Like, okay, you roll down the sidewalk. Kind of hits a crack. It goes off to the side, and then it stops. Oh, maybe they haven't rolled it far enough. Yeah. Who knows? Right? It's only gone (laughs) ten feet. Right? So they think it doesn't do anything if you roll it. Yeah, that's possible. You take that and go, well, if you just rolled it further, it grows to like 10 feet in diameter and a big, huge-ass boulder. Yeah, it smashes through the door you're trying to get through. Right. Oh, wow, I wonder why I did that just now. Yeah. Oh, uh, when I did it the first time, did it go very far? No, like 10 feet. But you can't say like one of those situations with Game Masters, which really irks the crap out of me and I think is really a tough thing to deal with is – when you start probing the players for those clarifying questions, because as soon as you do, well, how far do you roll it? Oh, 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 oh. 6.2 feet. 6.3 feet. <laughs> <laughs> 10 feet. 20 feet? 30 feet? Uh, obviously. Can someone get the tape measure? This this, this definitely does uh, something. This, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a distance thing now, right? Yeah, yeah. And instead of just kind of like, oh, I roll it. Wow. You're always trying to clarify, like, and then it, that's, the, I think, the. I know we're going to go off on a tangent, but I think that is the biggest beef I have with well, role-playing it, games. It There's misle- no specificity. Well, it can get misleading unless you pull out a grid and you say, how far do you throw it? Which grid do you throw it to? Well, then, you then you're the, automatically going to the, you're automatically going, well, how far do you do it? I know. I'm just saying it, it's, yeah. it's 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 goofy. Right. The, um, the puzzles I've run into that I generally don't like are the, Old school riddles, I don't like them. Oh, the They're fun to read. Yeah. <clears throat> or you read something, once was a man from, uh, okay, 
elf plus elf equals fool. What's a, what's four plus two equal? And this right. is that. And, this is, and some people are like, oh, I know all these. I'm like, I don't. I don't enjoy those, and they're not fun for me. And Especially if they're made up, because somebody's got in their brain, like, this just makes so much sense. And you're like, I do not understand. Yeah. In treasure Plume, chest with gold in it that doesn't have any corners. and Yeah, it's an egg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Some of them, but I only know that because I've read The Hobbit 1,800 times, right? right. So I can draw a conclusion. Right. And if you, t- if you try to make it very original, if you, and if you put, a po- if you put a, a riddle like that out there and it's a puzzle of some sort. Oh, this is the uh, this is the Harry Potter thing. Oh, this is the, the oh everybody knows that. Then, if your player's an asshole, they look at you with disdain, like oh, phew, you think that was tough, right? In White Plume Mountain, the to getting getting into that, there's I think there's a Sphinx at one point, and there's a riddle. It's actually very simple. Um, it's one of the only riddles that I'm like, oh, I, I'll read this, and the players, go, oh, it's this, done, off we go. It's very easy. But generally speaking, I don't like those because when you're asking them, if the players, if the players for whatever reason, just boom, you draw a blank, brain fart, I got nothing. Can I fucking roll? Yeah, give me an intelligence check. I rolled a two. Sorry, you know, Madeline, the most amazing wizard of all time with a 25 intelligence, she failed. She has no idea. Sorry. Are you fucking kidding me? All right, fine. I stand here and I, I starve to death and die. You know, because like, what, what do you want me to do? This is clear. I can't go anywhere else without solving this thing. And I, Brett, can't think of it. Neither can Sean, Ange, Eileen, Chris. We got nothing. And we've all made bad die rolls. Okay, DM, thanks. That's great. We're right. just going to stare at this thing. And I've run into these things in, in a Star Wars game. About, my buddy Nick was running a Star Wars game. And um, he had... He had some documentation and it was very riddle like, and and I went, Ugh. and it goes, "What's the matter?" I said, "I I hate riddles, dude." <laughs> well, okay, it's no. And he said, I'm, "I'm this doesn't stop the game. It's just a clue." I'm like, "Okay, cool," because I thought, "Oh my god," he gave us this printout. I'm like, "Motherfucker, if this is the thing that we can't progress anywhere without this thing solved, we're gonna flip the table." And I hate those. Those drive me bananas. <clears throat> because so, it so, comes down so to the, everybody if the, if the players spread in their game, you <laughs> yeah, know? throw a riddle at them. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's fun. Yeah, the only other, and the other ones I don't like are the ones where you have a pretty good at you have an answer. It's a bag of sand. No, I'm sorry, it's a bag of dirt. It, dude, right. it, it yeah. they both work. This works. It solves the problem. Well, it's got to be. It's got to be. I think in my, you know, if you're if you're approaching something like that, you got to make it pretty ambiguous. Like it, it requires exactly. some type of weight. Yeah, you can't have it be a very specific. It must be five pounds of loam from right. the east shore right. of England's blah, blah blah blah. Oh my god, you know, <clears throat> it's just it's too much. Yeah. So that's anyway. That's what I want to talk about. Okay, I think we beat the hell out of that. We did talk about puzzles. Like, what was, would be a good one to you? What wouldn't be a good one to you? Have you encountered ones who like that have pulled your hair out? If you've if you've gotten a Sean's mentioned to annihilation, having some good ones. Yeah. If you have other adventures you've run that you loved, or adventure you um, read that you hated, like oh, this published one, it's great except for this puzzle because it's a goddamn nightmare. Or this, oh, these are great. I know there are. Um, Probably books out there. I think I've seen books of riddles and puzzles and things like that, traps and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, we'd be very interested to hear what you guys have, uh, what you folks have used for references and good, bad, and ugly. So let us know. Yeah. Let us know. Right. 
Styroll. I've got a couple this week and we've got one I've got we've got to talk about from a listener. Uh so RPG, RPG publisher says Chinese government burned every copy of their latest book. <laughs> yeah. Not that not live right. in a total live in a totalitarian state and print your books in a totalitarian state, I should say. And yeah. um totalitarian state does what totalitarian state does. So, so ironically enough, call Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> Sons of the Sons of the Singularity, a small publisher of RPGs, ran a Kickstarter last year for Call of Cthulhu Sourcebook, raising twenty grand and called the the Sassoon files. It was finally printed last week, only for the publisher to claim that the Chinese government then stepped in and burned every copy. You know, I, it's one of those pieces where you'd like to say, ah, maybe the publisher, but I've I've watched enough weirdness happening in China that I'm like, you know, I I don't know, man. I kind of think that might happen. That could happen. So there's an actual YouTube video, I think, on Kotaku about somebody from the 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 pub the publisher, uh Sons of Sing of the Singularity mentioning yeah. this. So yeah, that sucks all the way around. Re so regardless <laughs> part of me is like, really? The China like hmm. That really blows. It just sucks. Yeah. Just sucks. Uh, second one, Altered Carbon tabletop RPG has been announced. So if you're a fan of Altered Carbon, which is a more of a science fiction hacker. Yeah, it's, um, I've got the book. It's really, it's almost, in the, it's almost transhuman. Yes. Because you're, you're sleeving. You're taking a consciousness from body to body. It's, it's got bits of transhumanism to it. I think there's going to, I think there's a second season of Alter Carbon on Netflix. Alter Carbon is on Netflix. There was a first season. I've yet to see it. Uh, I believe there's a second, but the book is quite good. Yeah, there you go. So fans of that, um, look for that coming. And then we have one from a listener. Brett, you want to tackle? Yeah, Mark Tasaka has an OSR rule system called White Box Eastern Adventures. He's got a free PDF on drive-thru RPG. White Box Eastern Adventures is a rules-light system aimed at capturing the feel of the first iteration of the world's most famous role-playing game, where rulings, not rules, define the system. So Mark's a longtime listener, fan of the show, supporter of ours, and I want to make sure we give him a little love in that space. So we'll have a link in the show notes to our drive-thru RPG affiliate and all that, but White Box Eastern Adventures by Mark Tasaka. So check that out. Yeah, and I think you can get a printed version for like five bucks through drive throughs Very check cool. It out. Yeah, so we've decided on what we're talking about next week, Brett. Well, it depends. I'm trying to get um, Alex Cameron because we want to talk about some waterborne underwater adventuring. We want to kind of bring that one back. And uh, we're still trying to see if we can hook up Victor with uh, Empire of the Pedal Throne, Tuckamel stuff. So yeah. I've got a couple different. Um, if we can't get those guys in time, we'll see what else we can do. Fair enough. All right. Well, excellent. This has been another episode of Gaming and BS. Thank you for everybody that is tuned in, as always, and contributing and just being part of the community. You, sir, ma'am, rock socks. Absolutely. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Hawk Sparrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, 
Ray Otis, Chad Gleyman, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.